0: Do you remember the first time you met your friends? How you were whispering and secretly exchanging notes in class? Cracking open by each other's silly jokes? And what about that one fabulous night you're still talking about? But unfortunately, not everyone turns out to become your bestie. Maybe you remember that one kid in your class in kindergarten or elementary school, the one you really didn't like? Or maybe that one coworker you really don't get along with? We all learn it very early on, who is our friend and who is our enemy. Throughout our lives, we are learning how to manage these social interactions and trying to learn who we can trust and who we can't. And the same is true for our microbes. Microbes are an essential component of life. They shape our environment and are key to our health. Think about the millions of microbes in our gut. They play a crucial role in our digestion, which makes them essential for the uptake of nutrients, but also to protect us from disease. And the same is true for plants. Just like us, plants are covered in microbes that support our growth, productivity and health. But of course, we know that not all bacteria are our friends. Some of them have evolved to take advantage of us, and became our worst nightmares. But. What exactly makes one a friend or a foe?
1: How do plants engage with beneficial microorganisms while at the same time restricting pathogens?
0: This is Professor Cara Haney from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Her lab studies the interaction between plants and their microbes and answer questions on how plants recognize beneficial microbes from pathogens.
1: And for me, that immediately calls on what I call the continuum of symbiosis, and I'm going to use symbiosis in its literal sense, which means living together, and includes pathogens, commensals, and mutualists. And so pathogens live with plants, although they cause harm and disease, as do mutualists and commensals. Um, And so the reason, or one of the reasons that this question is so interesting to me is when we think about how can a plant fight off pathogens, we also have to think how it can do that without killing off the microbiome and other potentially mutualistic symbioses. And similarly, when plants engage in symbiosis, how can they do this without leaving themselves vulnerable to pathogens? Hi,
0: my name is Dominique, and I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Microgreens MPMI podcast. We aim to tell stories of plants, microbes, and the people who study them. To answer this question of how plants recognize friend from foe, Professor Haney asks herself,
1: Are pathogens and mutualists really so different?
0: So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, are pathogens and mutualists so different? And as an example, Professor Haney refers to a group of bacteria that she studies in her lab called Pseudomonas.
1: And within the genus Pseudomonas, we have really diverse lifestyles of microbes and really diverse hosts. So this group, uh, Pseudomonas syringi, is probably the most infamous of the the Pseudomonas, which are plant pathogens. There's also Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which are animal pathogens uh, and occasionally plant pathogens or symbionts and then Pseudomonas fluorescens, which are, can be free living, they can be commensal, um, and occasionally they can even be opportunistic pathogens. And so lifestyle transitions and even transitions between hosts can, be, can occur within a single genus. And again, I think the most parsimonious explanation is that an ancestor of Pseudomonas was host associated, and then Pseudomonas adopted these lifestyles more recently.
0: What Professor Haney is referring to here is that she thinks that in order for a bacterium to be a friend or a foe, it first has to live together with its host. Over time, the bacterium evolves together with the plant, and more intimate interactions between the two are developed. These interactions can be beneficial for both the plant and the bacteria. Or they can be good for the bacterium, but not for the plant. And in her research, she could show that this happens fast. By exchanging pieces of DNA, friendly bacteria turn evil and start making advantage of the co housing situation. And when that happens, the plant needs to recognize the new enemy and needs to get rid of it. But how do you recognize a bad roommate? Well, first and foremost, everything starts with how you search for a new roomie. Maybe you ask around if your friends are looking for a new place. Or maybe they know someone. And if that doesn't work out, there is no other way than going out in the open. But also here you can choose between different strategies. You can post an ad in a local newspaper, or maybe a listing on the internet. And the kind of ad you post, the language you use, will attract specific people. Plants do the same. By choosing which metabolite, called an axidate, they release into the soil, plants decide what kinds of bacteria they prefer to live with.
1: Um, so a recent paper from Anne Osborne's lab explored the biosynthesis of triterpenes, which are a large group of plant-specialized metabolites, and found that they actually mediate establishment of the microbiome. Um, and so they used a combination of metabolomics and genome mining and genetics, and they characterized this triterpene network in rabidopsis roots. And they found actually that this single class of molecules plays really diverse roles in shaping the microbiome. So some of the triterpenes promote bacterial growth, and then there's others such as this arabidin that inhibit specific bacteria. And so here a single class of molecules not only provides nutrients that some microbes can use, but can also attract and inhibit other classes of microbes to shape the microbiome. The plant uh, specialized metabolism may play a really important role in shaping interactions with microbes.
0: Plants send out special metabolites to attract the right roomie. And once they have sent out their listings, they wait for the applications to come in, for the DMs to flow into their inbox. And just like we have to go over all of these messages, plants need to screen the potential candidates. But how do plants go through the list of candidates and separate the bad ones from the ideal roommates and potentially find their new bestie? This is exactly what Professor Tom studies. He is an assistant professor at Florida State University.
2: One of the, the most well-studied or common ways that we know plants can perceive microbes in their environment um, are through these highly conserved microbe-associated molecular patterns, which I'll refer to as MAMPs, but um, also historically have been called PAMPs. And this immune response is generally referred to as pattern-triggered immunity.
0: What Dr. Thoms is saying is that plants recognize specific molecules on the bacterial cell wall. And plants are clever. If they sense that a potential roomie is not the right one, let's say that the message the plant receives in their inbox is not the one they had hoped for, they immediately respond with an immune response. And this is what's called pathogen-triggered immunity. But of course, pathogens are clever as well. Sometimes they're able to manipulate and deceive the plant, as if they are good roomies. They meet up with the plant, and during the interview, they inject molecules into the plant cell. And these molecules, referred to as effector proteins, block the immune response. The plant does not recognize a new roomie as a threat anymore, and doesn't fight it off. Plants, however, do not always fall for the tricks of bacteria, and their effector proteins. They have evolved strategies to detect the deceiving bacteria, and this is what is called effector-triggered immunity.
2: But in return, plants have evolved ways to detect these interferences by microbes through NLRs. But NLRs are proteins that plants have that are able to either directly or indirectly detect the presence of effectors. And this recognition through NLRs are uh, able to then induce a strong induction of defense-associated genes. But is this it?
0: Or do plants also detect other pathogen-related signals?
2: More recently, it's been shown that plants can only recognize MAMPs and effectors, but they can also recognize wounding or self-damage. These are often referred to as damage-associated molecular patterns. Um, which are pretty much molecules that are uh, derived from larger macromolecules that are either intracellular or extracellular. And after damps have been released, either by cleavage from a larger molecule or just released from the cytoplasm in general uh, into extracellular space, uh, they're able to bind to extracellular receptors and then induce immune response
0: In other words, plants do not only sense specific molecules on the cell wall of the invader and the effector proteins injected by the unwanted rumi, but also damage in general. And sensing damage, the plants activate their immune system. Now, are all of these elements on its own enough to trigger the immune response of a plant? Professor Toms is not convinced he believes that there is a dual input model at play that activates the plant's immune system.
2: In this model, when you have wounding on its own, you don't really get much of a defense response. Versus whenever you have MAPs alone in the root, you don't. You also don't get much of an immune response when they're just MAPs only. But when you combine the two together, you get a much more potent and much power, more powerful immune response. And this brings forth two ideas. One, that a immune response can be localized to just a few adjacent cells around the damaged cell. And two, dual input system or dual input process in which you have very low uh, expression of FLS2, which is the receptor that recognizes flagellin, But after laser ablation, you increase the expression of FLS2 so that these cells are now expressing F L S2 and able to recognize the when that's present. So in this case you have both F L S two and Fagellin present, and then that can lead to induction of pattern triggered immunity. So what
0: Professor Toms is saying is that plants need two signals in order to activate a strong immune response. They don't only screen the message the potential Rumi presents them, but also test out whether the Rumi damages it in any way. And if they do, the plant responds with a strong reaction and kills the bad roomie.
2: Putting these ideas together, you have stronger induction of plant immunity from just danger signals alone, and a weaker induction of plant immunity from MAMPS alone. But when you combine these both together, which is I think how they usually occur in nature, you get a much stronger and, and actually a synergistic response and induction of basal immunity pathways.
0: We now know how plants distinguish friend from foe. But there is more to this question than the listings plants send out in the environment and the double response they use to react to fight off unwanted intruders. They are able to fine-tune their immune response even more. When some plants like soybean and peanuts don't have enough nutrients to support their growth, they interact closely together with bacteria called rhizobia but if the plant does have enough nutrients in its environment, it kicks out the bacteria. So just like we, when we're looking for a housemate when things are financially too tight, plants only engage with microbes in certain ways when things are too tight. And this is what Professor Haney refers to as the immune thermostat. The fine-tuning of the plant immune system depending on its needs and allowing the interaction with certain microbes from the environment when it is necessary.
1: Plants must be able to coordinate nutrient status and immunity to maintain symbiotic symbiotic homeostasis. If you have enough nutrients, then you might not want to engage in symbiosis. Or if you don't have nutrients to spare, you might not want to engage in, in symbiosis. Um, And then the plant immune status and microbiome change in response to a variety of developmental abiotic and biotic cues. And again, this may be a way to conserve nutrients or recruit beneficial microbes just in the space and time that they're needed. Um, And then finally, in thinking about what this sort of baseline set point is for the immune thermostat, uh, emergent evidence is really revealing that the microbiome uh, is critical in how we think about the baseline of plant immunity.
0: And Professor Haney points out that this is not only true for an interaction between a single bacterial species and the plant, but also for the entire microbial community. She believes that plants stir their microbiomes depending on different factors such as plant age and environmental factors such as drought.
1: Um, There's some great examples in the microbiome as well, although mechanistically we don't um, understand how these work. The rice microbiome changes over development. Um, This is from the Sundaresian Lab at UC Davis. uh, And there's this beautiful shift in the microbiome. Uh, And this was to the point that they could actually predict plant age from the microbiome. Um, similarly the sorghum microbiome um, as well as the rice microbiome are known to shift in response to drought stress uh, and then there's some more recent work this is from the coleman der lab um, that shows that these changes really do uh, seem to matter that the shifts in bacterial taxa can potentially be protective against drought stress and so um, it's really fascinating that plants might be able to integrate drought stress or development to shift their microbiome in ways that are beneficial And
0: In her research, Professor Haney found that the plant immune system plays an important role in shaping this microbiome. She and her team found that a specific kinase, a signal protein in the plant cell, is not only key in the immune response and development, but also in shaping the microbiome. These findings, together with other recent developments in the field, teach us more about how plants use their immune system to shape the microbiome depending on their needs, their environment, and their own development. But Professor Haney argues that a lot of the knowledge we have today is based on germ-free plants, or sterile plants. And in her research, she could show that when other bacteria are living with the plant, they influence the plant's immune response to pathogens, just like your other roommates are mediating potential fights.
1: We know more about the immune status of germ-free plants than we do about uh, soil-grown plants or plants growing in the environment. When you treat plants with flagellin, and these are germ-free plants, you can get responses like stunting of roots or induction of gene response or gene expression. It turns out that many members of the microbiome can suppress these responses. When we think about things like PTI and immune responses, it's entirely possible that soil-grown plants, because they have these complex communities of microbes, may not actually respond uh, in the roots uh, or even in the leaves. So we haven't really uh, explored the role of the microbiota in suppressing PTI in the leaves.
0: Just like we learn how to recognize friend from foe, plants have evolved different strategies to distinguish good microbes from the bad ones. The research on how plants do this is one of the most prominent questions in the field of plant-microbe interactions, and is one of the top 10 questions from MPMI. Professor Haney and Professor Toms have shown us that current research suggests three levels of recognition. Plants select for microbes by sending out specialized metabolites, and upon interaction they screen for the right microbes using a dual input model. They also fine-tune their immune system, depending on the environment and their own developmental stage, to create a beneficial microbial community that fully supports their needs. But like Professor Haney suggested, more research is needed to fully understand how plants make the distinction between a friend and a foe, and especially in a complex environment recent advantages in science, and thanks to the hard work from scientists all over the world like Professor Haney and Professor Toms, we are beginning to understand the complex interplay between plants and microbes. And piece by piece, we are unraveling the answer to the question, who is our friend, and who is our foe? You've been listening to an MPMI Microgreens podcast. I'm your host, Dominique Holtappels, along with Div Mack and Raka Mitra. We thank Professor Haney and Professor Toms for their interesting perspectives. We would also like to thank Jean Harris and Tim Friesen for keeping us going. And if you can get enough from plants and microbes, check out our other episodes, where we talk about Hulong Bing disease, for example, or maybe our episode on non-host resistance. Or stay tuned for our next episode.